Hey everyone and welcome to Livingston First Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really hope you're ready to hear a great message from the Word of God. So prepare your hearts, prepare your ears, and get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. Yep. Be blessed. Amen. Okay, what are we doing? It's Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Who's still like shaking off the sugar cookies and family and all that stuff? No, you still in it? We'll keep this brief so you can get right back to that. Uh, <laughs> we've had a great time at our house. It's been party central 24-7. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, so, but it's also fun to celebrate with, with my church family as well. So I'm glad you're here today. I know it's not easy to wake up the day after Christmas and uh, put on some fresh clothes and, and go to church, but I thank you for that. Uh, we're going to start uh, by reading. I, I, I kind of I want us to stand and honor the word today, if we can do that. Go to John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to give you my Christmas message, uh, part 2. I started it a couple of weeks ago, talking about Mary. Uh, but I, I really feel it's important to give this word. Uh, so if you'll go with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, we're going we're gonna to honor God's word today in a, in a unique way. Verse 1, in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought to light everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Verse 14, so the word became flesh, and he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God, we thank you that you became flesh. Jesus, fully man, but fully God. We thank you that you left your place of divinity and brought it into the earth. That you wrapped yourself in flesh and in our brokenness and in our humanity. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, word of God. We honor you. We exalt you. Lord, let our hearts and our minds be pruned and humble before you. Lord, let my words be, be that which glorifies you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm sorry when I think about the magnitude of what I just read to you. It causes great emotion in me. Because if you don't understand John 1, then you don't fully understand Christmas. Okay? Jesus' life didn't begin in a manger. 
Do you understand that? To understand Christmas, you have to understand that Jesus has no beginning and has no end. I understand Christmas. We, we, love, we love the nativity scene. We think about the nativity scene. I cherish that picture. I, I, I love this. But if you don't understand John 1, then you don't understand what you're looking at when you see this. He's the eternal God. He's Adonai. He is Yahweh. He's infinite. He's everlasting. He is God Almighty. And it was his choice to come to the earth in the form of a child so that there would be no hindrance in you receiving who he is. See, it's God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son all in one that put itself, himself in a human child in a form that was humble so that there would be no reason that you could not understand who he is and what he thinks about you. See, the birth of Jesus does not personify God's identity. It personifies God's relationship to you. Do you understand that? God is eternal. There was no reason for him to come to earth other than he wanted to. It was a sovereign choice. You have to understand that, that God made a sovereign choice. He has no need for you. That's really hard to understand. He has no need for you. He could create a million you in an instant. He could crumble every mountain with a blink of his eye. He could shake the whole earth with a blast of his breath. He doesn't need you. But from his sovereignty, from his almightiness, from his power, he made a choice in his heart and his emotions to come to the earth in the most humble estate possible so that you could understand God for who he is and not for who you think he is. That's remarkable. It's really scandalous. It really is. You see, until you understand that Jesus is the Most High, you don't understand the nativity scene. It's just a cute picture. It's just a reason to give gifts and gather with family. Those are good things, and we can appreciate those things. But until you understand Jesus as Lord God Almighty, you don't understand why he came to earth. It was his choice. Do you understand that God is not an energy or a spiritual being or a concept of our minds or a consciousness? He's a person. He has emotions. He feels things. He makes choices. He decides based on his preferences. And out of his sovereignty, he decided to come to earth so that you could have relationship with him. That's remarkable. There's never been another God in human history who has came to people despite who they are. That's game-changing. What that means is Jesus saw you and sees you and knows you and knows what you think and how you act and what you do to try to pretend that you're good enough and he's not worried about it. He still came to earth. He's still pursuing you. He's still saying, I want you. 
The point of Christmas is God making a statement. Despite what you think about yourself, I desire you. It's never happened before. In fact, it's almost uncomfortable to think about that despite what I know about myself, there is an almighty God who desires at all costs to have relationship with me. But that's what Christmas is. That's how you have to understand the nativity. If you don't understand that, you're still working and trying to prove to yourself that you are worthy of a relationship with God. You've missed the point of what this is. See, it's, it's a subtle trap that if I can just do enough good things, if I can just pretend enough and put on a show enough that I'll be good enough to receive Emmanuel. That's not truth. Because then it would have been in your power. It would have been your choice. But it wasn't. Because you're not God. He is. You're not Almighty. He is. You're not the King of Kings. He is. So you can't understand Christmas until you understand the Trinity, the Godhead, Jesus the Eternal. See, Christmas was actually the end of religion. Did you know that? That Christmas was actually the dagger that God sent into the heart of religion on the earth. There is nothing about Christmas and how God decided to come to earth that, perf that preferences or makes adjustment for a religious spirit. In fact, God came to earth in such a way that if you were looking for anything else other than him, you would have missed it. In fact, everyone on the earth almost missed it. <laughs> Think about that. The only people who really got it were people who had encounters with angels and a few weird astrologers from the east. Think about that. They were stargazing. They were reading the stars when they realized, oh my goodness, the Messiah is here. If you were carrying a religious concept on how God wants to encounter people, you would have been looking in Jerusalem. You would have missed what would have happened. Could you imagine the scene? I mean, Mary, after walking 90 days on the, uh, with her husband and a donkey, teenage girl and some random guy who happened to be in the right bloodline, they end up going to get counted by the government. I'm pretty sure they were, they were chanting, let's go Caesar, the whole way there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a bad joke. They get there, and because God's timing is never convenient, but always perfect, her water breaks. Could you imagine that? Standing all day at the DMV, you get to the top of the line, you get your, 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 your driver's star so you can fly in a plane, and your water breaks? What? Come on, God, what are you doing? Then they go to try to find a place to sleep, and because of this census that's happening, there's no room anywhere in the insignificant small town that they have to go to. So they end up giving birth to Jesus in a literal barn. It doesn't matter how many studies you've read and what you think it actually looked like. It was a barn where animals ate and slept and defecated. 
And then after that, some weird astrologers from the East show up with the worst baby gifts you could ever bring to a newborn baby. I mean, what is the baby going to do with myrrh? (laughs) Just kidding. There's a reason. And then some guys who are the lowest caste of society, who you wouldn't even want to get caught with in a cab, they show up and and they're, they're excited to see the Messiah, the shepherds. I mean, those guys were the outcasts of human society. The reason they were shepherds is because they couldn't get jobs doing anything else. And then you have to imagine that at some point, as Mary is wrapping her baby in spare cloth because she was not anticipating that this God that she was giving birth to would come at the most inconvenient time, as she's laying him in a feed trough, you have to imagine that she was thinking at some point, There is no way this is who that angel said it is. You couldn't give me a worse game plan for what God is doing right now. You see, if she were to be the way of Zechariah, who had to have it his way, who who needed to see things play out the way he was religiously brought up, she would have missed it. But she didn't. She just kept saying yes. Lord, your will be done, not mine. You see, Christmas is the end of religion. You don't get to have it your way. You don't get to see things play out the way you want them to to play out. But if you continue to say yes to God, you get to see his kingdom be built through you. See, but you can't see God's kingdom be built through you if you're still stuck in a religious mindset that you have to earn what he wants to do. Look, I'm not pretending that repentance is is not important or that you just get whatever you want whenever you want it. What I'm saying is God wants to do something through your life, but you can't make him God or you can't make yourself God over him. That's what John 1 is saying. He is the word. He is God. He is who he says he is, not who you want him to be. Your religion can't define who God is. It has to be who he says he is. If God was defined by your desire and not who he says he is, he would not be worthy of being worshipped. Do you understand that? He would be malleable. He'd be like a video game you could pause and move around at your convenience. But because it says in John 1 that he is God Almighty, he is the Word, he is defined by who he says he is, not by what you see, not by what you want, or not, and not by what you perceive, and certainly not by the religion you've been brought up with. See, that's what Christmas is. Christmas is the end of religion. The thing is, is God had the deck stacked, though, didn't he? He stacked the deck. He stacked the deck because he knew he had a young lady who had two things that most people just can't seem to figure out. A humble heart and a yes that endures beyond what you can see. So Mary, after she gets visited by six strangers, gets exiled to to the, the land of Egypt, gets basically her whole life flipped upside down, continues to keep, 
she continues to keep her heart humble and to say yes to what the angel told her nine months ago. How many of you know that when that angel showed up and explained to Mary what was going to happen, she had no idea what he was talking about? Who, <laughs> who would? In fact, it says at the beginning of that passage that she was perplexed and even afraid because it was so extraordinary what was happening to her. And the angel goes through all the, the different things that are going to happen and explains to her that the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon her despite her frail being and her covenant to God of celibacy. And she only has one response. Yes. See, God's not really worried about the skill you have. He's not worried about the things you've done in your past. He's not worried about what he, you think you're good at and what you think you're not good at. He's only worried about you having a heart that's humbled to continue to say yes when it doesn't look like the religion you've conjured up God to be. See, if you want to stay in control, you want to stay in religion. That's it. If you want to continue to fabricate what God should be doing in your life, you will continue to miss what he's actually doing. If you want to tell God who he should be, what should be happening, how his word should apply to your life, you will always be on the outside looking in. But if you'll humble yourself and say, Lord, I don't really get this, I don't really like this, I don't really want this, but because you're God and your plan for me is perfect, I'll submit and I'll say yes. That's all Mary did. And that's how he stacked the deck. It's a humble heart. So used to trying to prove ourselves to each other and approve ourselves before God that we miss God. Do you know you can do enough good works to totally miss God? Do you know that at the end of the age, it says in the scripture that there will be people knocking on the gate, Lord, let me in, Lord, let me in, and he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. But we prophesied, healed, and cast out demons in your name. See, good works does not define your relationship with God. The only thing that can define your relationship with God is God himself. What a paradox. And he did by coming to the earth in the most humble form possible and then putting himself on the cross for your benefit. <laughs> That's how you're to receive God. Anything, anything that is done outside of that revelation is a form of religion that you've created because of your insecurity about who he says he is in your life. Go to John chapter 9. I'm going to keep this short, I promise. Because Mary stayed humble to God's word, she looked past the mess. Her yes endured, and her heart stayed pure, stayed pure, and heaven was able to invade earth 
and God's glory was revealed. Humility is the quickest way to reveal God's glory through your life. John chapter 9, verse 1. This is some years after Jesus was born on earth, clearly. He's with his disciples. As Jesus was walking alone, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Or, another translation is, so God's glory can be revealed. Verse 4, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others knew him as a blind beggar and asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, others said no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. We'll stop there. What a strange story. You know, the Bible can be weird sometimes. I mean, let's start with the, the idea of God being put into a barn. That's weird. And you should admit that. It's very strange. But so is the story. Jesus is walking with his disciples. And it doesn't say how they come to the conclusion of how the man is identified as being born blind. We know Jesus knows because he's Jesus, he's God, and he, he has that ability, ability to see who we really are, right? And the disciples, we can only assume, know that this man was blind from birth because how society is, is treating him. See, in those days, the religious culture taught that if you were ill or deformed or malformed from birth, that there was something hidden in your family. There was a sin that your family had committed in a previous generation that you were paying for. Right? So they asked him two questions. Is it because of his sin, which doesn't really make sense, right? Like, how could it be because of his sin? He was born blind. That means he would have had to have sinned before he was born. And that doesn't really make any sense. Or was it because of the sin of his family, of his parents? And see, what would happen is this person who was born with a deformity would actually be treated as an outcast to the religious society around him. Sort of like a leper. They would, they would shout away and they would actually spit on him. So you can imagine Jesus walking with the disciples and this man is walking through the crowd and people are probably jeering at him and spitting at him because of the assumed sin they believe his family committed to make him be born blind. And they notice this and they say, Jesus, what's the deal? And then Jesus gets a little weird. <laughs> he says, nope, that's religious. 
And then he does something even more weird. He spits into the ground. Right? He, he spits. And not only does he spit, he goes to every extreme weird ever had. He makes mud with the spit and then goes to the next stratosphere of weird. He rubs his spit mud into the man's eyes. This is one of those moments where the disciples were probably like, this is where it's not convenient to be a follower of Jesus. <laughs> like, can we just get a bumper sticker Jesus that says a fish or something? Something easier than this. Why do you have to make us so uncomfortable all the time? <laughs> but Jesus does it. He wipes the mud over the man's eyes. And you have to imagine at this point that the man is a little weirded out too because who does that? <laughs> Who rubs mud, spit mud into somebody else's eyes? And then he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll be healed. So it's important to remember that this man was blind, not deaf. Right? So when Jesus went into the ground, the man probably heard that. And I can only assume, because I don't really know, it doesn't say whether he did or not, but when he heard that sound, I imagine the man went, oh no, here we go again. This guy is just like the other people that I've encountered. I know this religion. I'm going to be outcast. And then I imagine when, G when he realized the spit didn't hit him in the face or didn't hit him on the shoulder, and that there was all of a sudden warm hands pressing cold wet mud to his eyes that he was wondering what is going on and then I imagine that after the mud was pressed into his eyes and Jesus spoke to him instead of yelling and scorning him and said go to the pool and wash the man was probably pretty confused but Jesus gave him a choice so you always have a choice Sometimes God leads you into a really weird, strange, messy place just to expose to you who you actually call God. <laughs> See, you have a choice now, Mr. Blind Guy. You can get bitter, you can be annoyed, and you can respond the same way you always have responded, or you can receive God's word despite what you don't see and what's actually happening to you and see God's kingdom break through your life. So he does. He lays down his preconceived religion and he receives God's word not based on what he expects but on what Jesus says. And he's healed. See, what we don't really get is Jesus wasn't just doing a weird act. It was prophetic. See, when Jesus saw the blind beggar, he knew that this guy wasn't paying some weird universal karma consciousness penalty that his parents had placed upon him. He knew that this man was made for the same reason you and I were made, to reveal God's glory on the earth. And when he spit, he was actually pouring himself out into the world. As gross as that sounds, his DNA came out and he poured himself out into the ground. And the divine and the human mixed. 
and covered the imperfection that the man could never pay for. And the thing the enemy used to condemn him, Jesus used to bring freedom to him. See, I don't really know what you're going through, and I don't know your life all the way through and through. I don't know how hard it's been or what you don't understand or what God told you to do and you expected and didn't happen. But I am telling you this. If you will humble yourself and say yes to what God said to do, the kingdom of God will break through you. And not only that, you'll be healed from things you once called God, but actually led you away from him. <laughs> See, this is how God breaks through in the earth. He first breaks people who don't know him. <laughs> and it's not because he's angry or he wants to like prove to everybody how strong he is by whittling people down. It's because he doesn't want you to confuse him for the same dead, dry God you've been calling him your entire life. <laughs> See, giving the blind man a choice was actually an opportunity for the blind man to keep his, his same dead God if he wanted to keep it. Jesus wasn't going to steal that from him if he preferred it over who Jesus said he was. But if he would get over himself, if he would get over what he didn't understand and what he couldn't see and would receive what God was pouring out into the earth, the kingdom would be birthed through him. You going through hard stuff isn't God punishing you. It's God revealing his glory through you. You going through pain isn't God making you pay for something your parents or your family or something you did in the last season. It's him in his grace, in his mercy, in his strength, in his sovereign choice, birthing his kingdom through your life. And you, if you let go of the religious God you've created in your heart, you'll be able to receive him. <laughs> Let's stand and pray. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit truly ministered to you through this message from the Word of God. If you'd like to know more, look us up at livingstonfirstchurch.com or follow us on social media. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon.